Support for this podcast comes from PayPal. Small business owner, PayPal QR codes are the safe and easy payment option. It's all the security PayPal is known for online, in person. Cash only, QR codes allow you to accept credit or debit with everyday low fees. No additional hardware or software needed. Use the app to generate your unique QR code. Customers scan your code with their PayPal app to pay you. Learn more at paypal.com slash us slash get QR code. This is episode number 41 with our guest, Lisa Princick. Welcome to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. My name is Josh Carey. You want in on a little secret? I was in hiding for 40 years. Yeah, I was hiding every part of myself in every situation. And I can tell you one thing, hiding sucks. I'm now on a mission to help extraordinary people like yourself rediscover the world around you, connect beautifully with others, and excel tremendously in all you set out to do. Join in. It's The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Hey there, everybody. Thank you for tuning in and joining us. Welcome to the studio. You're tuned right into the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. I am your host, Josh Carey. In my business life, I have found myself knowing exactly where I want to go, but having no idea what to do or how to get there. I've also found myself doing plenty of work, doing plenty of things that seemed enjoyable and even productive yet had absolutely no clue what I was looking to ultimately achieve. It's such a fascinating thing where as entrepreneurs, it's often difficult to find that magic middle ground where you know exactly what your goals are one year, five years, 10 years out, and knowing exactly what strategic actions you should be taking each day to make it happen. This is why I'm so thrilled to welcome our guest today. She does just that. She works directly with driven entrepreneurs of all levels to help them reach that next level. If you find yourself working endless hours just to keep up, this episode is for you. If you're ready to discover how to work deliberately in your business, one that you love and to make the impact you know you can make, this episode is for you to help us connect all those dots. Help me welcome our guest. It's Lisa Princick. How's it going, Lisa? Good, thanks. That was an awesome introduction. Thank you. I said it very well. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate it. I think you are responsible for that introduction. It's your your bio or you right. know your your credits, your credentials in my words. So here's the thing. I like I said, I spent many, many years doing a lot of that. And I recently looked back on my life and something stuck out that I noticed. I felt like for so long, I was riding this bike that was propped up on a rack. And there I am pedaling my brains out. The wheels are spinning, but the bike ain't going nowhere. You know what I'm saying? Is that, is that a phenomenon that you see in, in entrepreneurs today? I think the secret is, is that that is actually life. It's not just entrepreneurship. Not everything is meant to go at rocket speed all the time. And we have this expectation that we can, because as 
you know, a young person, we learn stuff and it seemed like the years flew by, but, you know, in general, things are not instant successes or, you know, um, from zero to 60. I mean, that's not really what life's all about. And the stories we hear, especially in a very heavily media-based society now, are all about the, the, the good news and the zero to hero and you name it. So I think we have this expectation that we're going to go really fast. And for the most people, they don't. So I think that's just where um, we're having the wrong expectations about it. So it's possible to learn whether in your life or in your business to have a vision, to have a plan, to have a goal and work slowly, but surely, but deliberately to achieve that goal. Yeah. I think that when I see entrepreneurs who are successful and satisfied, because there's also successful and unfulfilled, they are very committed to their mission and they're very committed to their vision and they're not necessarily attached to when that vision happens because making it is so valuable to them to earn great income without having a day job to spend more time with their family to live nomadically whatever their goals are it's worth it it's worth the, the time it takes to get there and they're also enjoying the learning in the process the learning about themselves the, the connecting with other like-minded people i mean they're just having a better experience and i mean i know that it's been challenging for me too i i always want I'm, i can be very impatient sometimes i want things like tomorrow and being more patient has been probably the biggest shift in how i'm experiencing what I'm doing and living in the present, like the enjoyment of it, as opposed to just not not, not enjoying it because I don't recognize it as being successful. I spent all this time more often than not doing things that, like I said, may have even been enjoyable, may have even been good, but to no real end. So is is the way we overcome that we work backwards on, like you said, to find our mission and our value in the world and then find the path to that destination? Yeah, I mean, that definitely does change things. So I, so here's, I really believe in having a vision and, and that vision tends to not go away. Like there'll be some different forms of it, whether you're looking at two years or five years or 10 years, and depending on what's currently going on in your life, that will shift. However, that has to, that will not play out probably exactly where you think in a year's time or in two years time or three years time, or even in six months time, because when most businesses are in startup mode, and I would say even the huge success stories we hear out there in the online world, they're still shifting and evolving. I mean, unless a, a company, if we think about the big companies in the world, they're, they've reached steady growth. So they can make small shifts in their market or acquire new companies and change their product mix. And they can actually make predictable change. Whereas most of us can't really tell what is going to happen and when. So while we can still have that same vision, we need to bite down, like chunk down uh, into bite-sized amounts, the, the things that we do, the deliberate action. So whether it's a three, I actually really recommend three to six months as being the, a good um, chunk of time to be able to set out actions 
And any longer than that, it'll probably just change naturally anyway. And any shorter than that, you're not giving something enough time to see what could actually happen if you follow through. And within all this, we need to know how we're going to monetize, who we're going to serve, and what we're going to serve them with, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that knowing that and building upon that and experimenting a little bit with it, but with, with more experimentation is, is an easier way to do it than actually just going out and, and saying, oh, here's what I'm going to do. And this is exactly what it's going to look like when you don't know yet. And actually, the real truth of it is, <laughs> the real honest truth is, is customer discovery and customer and, and research and interviews. And so big companies or big, I should say, high growth companies. So the kind that are in Silicon Valley and all these incubators who want venture capital funding, they want to grow fast. They need to do the research or they don't get the money. So we don't necessarily do it that way because we're just by ourselves and we don't want to spend our time having 30 interviews to find out, is this something you know, relevant to you? What are your actual problems in this area? What, what desires do you have? And then hope that you can shape your product or service around that desire or, or problem. We tend to just jump into, I'm sure I really want to do this because this looks fun. And this is something that other people do. But it doesn't mean that you've gathered enough information to know that that'll work. So one of the ways to get around that is to just take small experiments and putting little bits of information in the world or running your ideas by a few people and actually seeing if they would bite if the amount is smaller, just to know that you're, you're, you're building towards something that has momentum. You want to gauge your interest first before you launch something big. So mm. while monetization has to be there, you have to have that plan. Your plan is also a high hypothesis most of the time, and it's not necessarily known unless you've already made it happen. So you can say, well, if I had 10 people sign up to my program, I'm sure I can get 20 if I double my list size or triple it. Sure, because you've proven that people want to take that. However, if you have a program where you have like 10 of your friends in it, you can't be sure that, that the regular public who doesn't know you already is going to take that next iteration of it. At what point does all this become a, an inward looking process? If I want to figure out my value to the world, doesn't that mean that now I have to spend time getting to know myself and what my strengths are and what am I looking for in that, in that arena? Well, I, I like to look at it. I mean, I think that's always important. And I think that's why I love entrepreneurship so much is that it's a personal journey and it's, we have no choice but to grow from it or we'll go crazy. So if we don't get to know ourselves and if we don't need up our, maybe I wouldn't call them personal skills, but our emotional intelligence and, and, and ability to observe ourselves and, and, and cope better with good news and bad news, maybe ride less of the highs and, and go sink less low in the lows. I think we, you know, we'll go, we, we need to do that. So I think that it is definitely an inward journey. And, and then through that process, you can dive deep into your value. And the, the diving into your value is, is a couple things. It's, it's knowing what you're uniquely amazing at and what you actually love 
doing over and over again and keep wanting to repeat and put it out in different ways in the world over and over again. So the value you stand by, and again, the more passionate you are about those that, that value, and I don't mean values, but it is part of values. Um, it's your message. The more passionate you are about it, the, the more clearly you'll say it and the more it'll resonate with other people because it'll be coming from a very human perspective versus a, I don't know, a marketing soundbite. So that is part of it. And then the other is um, how, what your personality is and how you can show up in the world and, and what, how people want to take information from you one of the things I've been really looking at lately is this, the business models that people run and their personality. Because some people can run a 4,000 person membership community and their information is okay, but it's not the best in the world, but there's still people excited to follow them. And I think they just like hanging out with that person in a lot of cases. So if you think about that, that is perhaps a charismatic person, a promoter personality who loves just being like really connected to their community every day and um, does it very vulnerable with a lot of vulnerability, a lot of truth and a, and a really easy way to explain, it explains things that people can relate to. So that, that not everybody could, has that skill set. And while you can learn it, if you don't love it, you're not going to show up that well. I, that's why I like to really encourage people to look at like what their strengths are in terms of how they work with people, whether they love building stuff in the background, uh, creating tools for people. You can still build a brand around that and get known for these excellent tools. However, if you're not, if you're someone who doesn't want to be online every day with your face, it's maybe not the best thing. So while it's a combination of that, what you're, you're designed to do, what you're amazing at, and then how other people seem to respond to what you put out there. So much good in what you just said. I want to uh, unravel a couple of those points. Uh, I love how you mentioned that the reason you love entrepreneurship is because it, it almost forces us to learn and rediscover all the time or else we'll just, we'll just absolutely go crazy. And I, I think you can relate. I'm a, um, I'm a newish father. I have a, an amazing five-year-old daughter, a three-year-old son who are my everything. And boy, did they teach me very quickly all kinds of things about myself. I realized uh, the minute I was uh, thrown into, oh, now you're a father role, um, you can't just do... You, you can't just always get that square peg into the round hole. You just can't. So it really teaches you quickly. All right, I gotta, I gotta re reevaluate everything here. I have to, I have to pick and choose my battles. I gotta keep my emotions in check. I have to become more present. So this one role of fatherhood really helped me develop my entrepreneurial skills like never before. Yeah. And it does. It's exactly, it's not exactly the same. I think parenting is probably more challenging. Um, but I, it's, I think it's, yeah, it's about learning to be, of course, more patient as you have, as you are with little ones and setting expectations that are more realistic and, and knowing when you can't always solve a problem instantly and, and allowing a little bit of time to tell you to kind of like let the universe send you a message about what's next when you're stuck and not trying to hammer it out because hammering it out is going to lead to burnout. And especially people who are entrepreneurs and parents, that's a recipe for, <laughs> for nervous breakdown, I think. 
so yeah, I, I believe there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of truth that you have to seek in, in entrepreneurship about who you really are, what you really can do and truth about what other people want. And so that is why there's so much personal development entrepreneurship training out there. I mean, there's so many, I would say there's so many business coaches who are mindset coaches and, and actually just they're successful because they're holding space for, for people to feel successful and to feel capable. And that's, that's a lot of the job of what that is. It's really fascinating to me because I tend to want to go right into the, the strategy and, and I used to be a life coach, but now I'm, I love the strategy. And I think it's because I've worked out a lot of my personal stuff. Like I've done a lot of personal development work and that's allowed me to go into the, beyond the mindset, because now I have the mindset of, I can do anything. I just need to figure out what the market wants, what, how people want to learn from me, how, I want to work in the business, what I want to stand for and all that. I can, I can go into that without not taking action. Like I'm okay when I don't take action because it means I don't exactly feel aligned with what I'm doing. And I would rather wait to know exactly what it is I think I should be doing before I take really big action. And I'm okay with that. Um, but that's also come from a lot of pausing and personal development that I've done in my life. I'd love to talk some about that personal stuff that you have to work through. Take us back, if you will, to the very beginning, early, early days of Lisa Prinsick as a young girl, childhood. What was that? What was that family upbringing like? Yeah. So, I mean, we all have our stories and we all have our history and, and the, and the life, the life that shapes us. And I, I don't have a, it's interesting because I have a pretty easy, I wouldn't say easy childhood. I would say I had a pretty normal childhood. It was almost a little too normal in some ways. There wasn't a lot of drama and there wasn't a lot of maybe role modeling, troubleshooting through life's challenges. My parents are very open-minded, but very conservative in their own lifestyle. They don't take huge risks and don't get themselves in messy situations. There was no, there wasn't a lot of conflict. So if anything, I didn't really develop the skills to understand relationships. I had to, I had to get through it, you know, by learning and not even really have getting a lot of feedback on or advice. Like, Cause I can't get advice out of my parents. If I try it, like I, it's really hard if I try really hard and I know it's the opposite of people of parents are constantly telling them like, you need to do this. You need to do that. I didn't, I didn't get any of that. And, and of course I was a little bit different than my parents. I'm more extroverted. I'm more risk oriented and they're very introverted and not risk oriented. So I was winging it a lot and, um, getting kind of hurt a lot from my expectations. And, and of course I come from my family is I'd say very, I don't know if you know Sally Hogg's had how to fascinate test. I love that. It was so, I'll tell you why I loved it because I took the test and I, I hated what I got. Like I was so, I actually wrote back to them and said, I need to take another test. This isn't right. Because it just, it surprised me that I had prestige as number one because I, I didn't want to be someone who I thought was competitive and who wanted, um, 
I don't know, Kate had really high, but I, then I realized it came to down to high standards and that was a bit of nature. Um, but a lot of nurture and is the high standards. So of course I, cause my parents have fairly high standards. And so I went through my life a lot with high expectations and lots of disappointment, which is one of why I had to get out of that because that was not, that's, that's the recipe for, you know, when you need to perfect things and can't fail, that is, that's a tough way. You cannot be an entrepreneur. You have to be like an accountant or something. No, I mean, not to say it has to be rigid. It has to be predictable. And that was boring to me. So I, I had my personality and my, it's a tough one. It's just a tough place to be, even though there's nothing ever said that really bad happened to me, but everything felt like hard work. What was, I mean, that's a, that's all kinds of fascinating that your, as you said, your, your upbringing was pretty normal in that grand scheme of things, but yet you saw some, perhaps looking back, perhaps in some of those moments, you saw some, some negativity within that, that you weren't um, nurtured in the way of, of giving advice and showing the ropes. So how did that play out with, with your friendships as a young adult and, you know, navigating the world with that upbringing? I would, I would boil it down to a couple things. So friendships meant everything to me to the point where I had, was constantly in FOMO, you know, fear of missing something. And that was, which was actually why I feel like I'm a bit of a late bloomer. I was not, I admire so much. I have to say people who in their twenties just went and worked really hard for a while or got a degree. Like I went into medicine or something where they, they have no life for a while because I would never have done anything that would have given up my social life. And that was a huge hindrance because I was too afraid to disconnect from my life, my life for fear of missing something. And that was something I had at a very young age. And that, that was a handicap because although I had strong friendships, I was too codependent, not on anyone in particular, just having friends because that was fun for me. And I probably was because we weren't having enough fun and adventure at home. And I'm a high adventure person. So that's the other thing I was missing out is that I want to be mountain biking and I'm, or kiteboarding or all these fun things that I like to do. That lifestyle is also very important to me. So there is a trade-off in life. When you want to get good at something, you have to hunker down a little bit and be in learning mode and be in student mode. And I didn't really like doing that too easily. So, you know, looking back on that, I, I feel like my friendships were good, although, you know, I, there was a lot of emotions involved in them and emotions are messy. And while they're there, they're, unless you know how to let go of them, they linger too long and they affect your performance. And I don't mean like a teenager or a person in their twenties doesn't have to be focused on performance, but it, to get over it faster, <laughs> means you can move on and not burden everyone else around with the thing you're hanging on to. So I, that was, that was what held me back. And I, I realized that when I was, um, I think I was like 30 in early thirties and I decided that I needed to work on that in a big, bigger way. What was your high school days like? What kind of a, what kind of a person were you like in high school? I think torn between being academic and wanting to hang out with the cool kids. <laughs> so I tried to do both, which I did both. And it was, um, yeah, it was, it was 
I probably like any normal teenager. I, but I, I think the fu- the funny thing is I look back and I kind of wish I was more of a geek and I wish I was more okay with that because I now want I, I now love really digging into stuff and I love learning about things and I love pushing myself out of my comfort zone. And I don't think hanging out with all my friends, the party kids was actually helping teaching me to get past obstacles of difficulty. Cause that's just, that's, you know, those, it has your, your days have your challenges, but they're not, it's not hard. It's not like, Oh, maybe you could strive for that goal and keep going into get it. And I wish I'd had more chance, I guess, more, I spent more time setting goals and achieving them than not being attached to the goals and not over or pushing beyond what I, my expectations. I I underperformed a little bit, maybe. Yeah. Looking back on my high school years, I was, I think the term is a terrible student and it was C's and D's all the time. (laughs) And now, you know, look, and, and now looking back, it's like so unfortunate because God, I, I'd love to take that math class again or that, that chemistry class. Like, I'd be fascinated today to just sit in that classroom um, if only they had some sort of adult education. I, I, I wish that there was a way you can actually do this kind of thing as an adult. Um, but same, same kind of thing, like looking back, just wish you had, you, you know, it's all in hindsight, I guess. Yeah, and I think it's just, I think it's just about, having, you know, knowing that you can push, like I, I wrote a blog post once and I, I sent an email out and it was so like, I'm at 80%. Like I seem to always be at 80%. And, and I've never, at that point I was realizing that I was, I was never all in and all in is so valuable. It's where we learn all our lessons is all in. But if you're never all in, you're always one step out. There's never a, I didn't make it now what? There's always just a not quite trying enough. And I just, I realized that about myself. So um, I guess giving myself the, the patience to realize that I'll, as an adult, I'm all in when I know it's invaluable and I don't try to do all in on everything. And I think that's where I realized that later. But again, I was a late bloomer. And I'd say because I didn't have enough emotional intelligence for the, le- for the amount of emotions I have. <laughs> or had because <laughs> I'm yeah. more level now but yeah, yeah. I think here. emotional intelligence is a is a late bloomer thing I honestly honestly believe that the most successful people in their life and career are more objective they don't think take things as personally mm. and they and they see and they the high what is it one of my clients said you know the lo- the highs are lower and the lows are higher mm. right so, so it- yeah. The so less winging around from like, woohoo yeah. to, oh my gosh, I'm going to, this is the worst thing ever. It's the, we, that's how you need to be that way to be successful as an entrepreneur. You've got to get more in the middle zone. You've got to be like, okay, that didn't work out. That feels crappy for a couple hours or a day. Now what? Not four days worth of feeling terrible about something and not so high that, you know, you're going to crash because what goes up must come down and what goes down must go up. And if you're constantly winging on this roller coaster of emotions, it's not very productive. So much, so much good and value there. Completely agree and embrace that. And it is something that you learn at some point in your life, hopefully one way or another. And I'm learning it now, really trying to embrace all of that. Uh, I made a video recently where the whole opening and, and full concept is, I do not care what you 
think. <laughs> Love it. Right. And it seems like, oh, you're so rude. You're so, no, it, you know, it's not about that at all. It's not inconsiderate or rude. It's actually valuable and beneficial for all of us. By me not caring what you think allows me to do my best work and allows me to stop seeking your approval, which is what kept me back every minute of my life forever. Everything I, I would do. I knew deep down that I had value going back to what we were talking about earlier, but I would yeah. never exercise it because I was so darn fearful and scared of what others would think. Am I going to get their approval? Are they going to care? Are they going to ridicule me? Are they going to make fun of me? Are they going to ignore me? All these things kept me down. So by me saying, taking control and the power and saying, I do not care what you think, I'm free and can succeed. That's so powerful. It's so powerful. And believe it or not, you're going to have way more people that go, yes, I totally agree with you. And I need to be saying that myself. So thanks for putting it out there. And that is, uh, okay. So I was getting back to this, why some people have way more followers or way more traction. And I think it's that, I think it's, so they're either doing it forcefully and saying with their personality, you know, you've got a energetic personality and lots of energy you and I'm kind of intense and so I'll say things like that just the way you will but someone else might say emotionally say hey you know here's what I've been thinking community I've been worrying about this and they'll just be vulnerable with it and they'll say it in the same message though in their style and I that's what it comes down to and so I've spent my life I would say masked as well just like you described that in in this appearing to have everything together all the time. And in some ways I did have more together than a lot of people because I wasn't as messy on the outside and fairly satisfied because I can be fairly reasonable. However, it's, it wasn't necessarily showing up and sharing as much. I didn't know how to share because I didn't want to be drama. So how do you share without being dramatic? And that was, that's a really hard thing for me to figure out. What's the level of passion that I can show without feeling like because I don't want to air all my dirty laundry. And actually, I don't really want to hear a lot of people talk about it. Like I have to admit that I gravitate more towards leaders or business leaders who are telling me really interesting stuff that they're excited about. And maybe some of the mistakes they made, but I don't want to hear the, I don't want to hear the emotional roller coaster part. So you, you have to be, you have to, you know, you're attracted to things for a certain reason and you have to just be where you're at. You just have to be exactly where you're at. Yeah, that's the, that's the goal. That's the thing that whatever, whatever stance you take, you're going to be polarizing. You're going to attract the people, the right people who love it, who say, my goodness, yes, thank you. Let me, let me hug you. Let me shake your hand. Let me stand next to you in support of that. And then the same thing you say, you're going to have other people saying, um, no, no, thanks. And, <laughs> and that's what you have to, that's, that's the tricky part. That's what you have to become, quote unquote, okay with that. You're never going to please everybody, nor should you. But that's the most difficult part of it all. Understanding that no matter what you say, you're going to attract and detract the very right people. Otherwise, you're saying nothing. Mm. I really, otherwise you're saying nothing. The role of growing a business to any kind of scale is, I said, the, should say the goal of any business growing to scale with a scale or a, a bigger audience 
is about messaging that is, is about getting a message out there. So having, so, you know, if you can't get that message out there, um, and get it heard amongst all the noise, then I would just say, don't put it out there, do something different. And I, because I don't really believe in hustling for no reason. And I've, I've, you know, gone, I've, I've done all kinds of things. I've experimented all kinds of ways. And when I don't feel like I'm getting the response enough and I'm not loving the activity enough, I don't do it anymore. So I, I've tried things and then realized that I, this isn't the right message to the right audience. And if I don't feel attached to that format, so maybe the format, I, I ran an event years ago, a couple, a few times. And then I just felt like I didn't actually get that many leads out of it. And I'm not an event runner person. I don't really want to be do this on the center stage. So I was like, I'm done. And I was a quick decision after the third time I did it. And I said, I'm done. <laughs> and, and so I think that you got to check in with those things. You got to check in is the, is the message getting heard? Cause when you are get when your message is getting heard and you get feedback, it starts to feel really good and you start speaking louder and more often. There you go. And then it just perpetuates and builds on itself because you find your voice, you find people who are walking alongside of you in unison saying, yes, preach it. That's right. I, I agree with that. I love that. And then you start honing your message, speaking louder, speaking to more, making an impact and doing your thing. I and want you don't have to do it that way either. You can just talk to people personally and be yourself. If that's how you're showing up, that's probably where the practice needs to be. Mm-hmm in that space. I want to hear about one of something that I I'm, I'm very intrigued about you multiple times. Apparently you, you, you went on this retreat that you spent days in total silence. Please tell me about this, this, this thing, this silence retreat. That's actually quite funny that that freaks you out because <laughs> it says so much about somebody who is like afraid of that. Because other people say to me, I could not imagine ever doing that. And other people like think that would be really awesome. <laughs> well, I do want to try it. I, I, I would love to just get away. I'm sure it's liberating on so many levels. Okay. But the funny thing is it doesn't matter whether or not you're somebody who thinks it will be nice and a good break from the world or whether you think it would be terrible torture. It's kind of hard for everybody. It's, it's the hardest thing I've ever done since I was having a baby. Uh, it was, it's, um, yeah. So I, I think this was in, I mean, this is in 2006. I had a trip booked to Baja, um, Mexico, and to go kiteboarding with a couple friends. And my sister had come back a couple months earlier from doing this Vipassana meditation retreat. It's a nonprofit organization. It's uh, a bit, there's centers all over the world. It's, it's amazing. I love it because it's so nonprofit and so free that there's no attachment to it. You just show up donate if you like. And so it's just there to serve people. So she came back from, of course, everyone has a skeptical idea about what it means. And does it mean, is it part of some bigger thing? It's like, no, just go get what you need out of it, leave. And so she'd come back and she'd like was changed. She was so peaceful. She was so in her zone and it was not a one day or one week thing. Was this, we're talking months later, she was transformed. And I thought, okay, there might be something to this. So I actually gave up my $700 ticket, which was a lot of money for me at the time. 
and decided to, instead of using my vacation to go down to Mexico, I booked a meditation, a 10 day meditation retreat. Cause I, I had, I realized, and I was in a challenging work position. I was in a very small non-for-profit management consulting type company, helping corporations become more sustainable. And it was a tough, like it was a tough, lean, tough leadership, small organization. So it had a lot of, I had a lot of growth during that job. Like it was a tough, tough knocks, maybe a little bit. So I realized I needed to go back and I needed to get, I needed to, something needed to change. Like I needed to not be escaping on a vacation and coming back and then within a day being like, oh yeah, I'm, everything's as usual. So I went to this 10 day meditation retreat in February in the snow and came out of it and was like, wow, I, it was the hardest thing. I really was the hardest thing I've ever done. And I have to say, I came out of it with permanent brain change. Like I, the neural pathways, it's a long enough time to reset your neural pathways to think differently and to approach things differently and calm down that monkey mind. So let's, let's go through this, this in a process, 10 days. Wow. So what, what are you doing day one and day two and day three besides not talking literally? So what you're doing is nothing but meditating to, for oh. 10 days. And the, the kind of the, the sad thing that kind of kills us is that nothing changes day to day. It's the same thing every day, day in, day out. Your goal is to meditate and learn the meditation technique. There's very, there's no interaction with people. You're supposed to be pretending like you're on a, a solo retreat. So you're not looking at anyone in the, eye, in the eye. You're not communicating with anyone. Volunteers cook the food. So you're not even cooking. You're not writing. You're not allowed to have writing instruments or journals or anything. So you're just stuck with the thoughts in your head. And Josh, that is enough to kill anyone spirit because our thoughts in our head are the things that torture us they're the things that tell us we're doing it things are not going well in life it's our reactions it's our interpretation all that stuff is what is actually causing us the problems it's so we- so in each day are you is is that just it and you're left to work it out is there any instruction is there There's any guidance yeah there is some instruction it's it's not a lot of instruction and the one thing that is kind of nice is that in the evening there's a discourse from the now deceased not creator of the movement but the teacher who brought it to the world in a bigger way and he gives an hour to an hour 15 minute discourse that start and, and tells a lot of stories about um, kind of wisdom around like our cravings and our aversions and the things that we're avoiding and, and just a whole bunch of stuff in it. And so there is the, the opportunity to get a little bit of insight into like, what is all this about? And what are we really trying to accomplish? So that breaks it up a tiny bit, but it's a small drop in the bucket of very long days of 11 hours of practicing to meditate with in not silence. a lot of outlets. Yeah. In silence with no outlets like you can't go for a run you can't start doing push-ups in the middle of the room it's just really really boring and really under stimulating and that's the hardest part that's the hard part that's the hard part would you like go to the bathroom and just like say hi i mean like just (laughs) 
just to see if you had your voice, like, is everything still here? Like, oh, uh, hello, hi. You probably, you're allowed to wander in the outside on breaks, and there are people who are probably mumbling to themselves, I'm sure. And everyone is a varying degree of, of what they're going through at the time. So it, whatever you're going in with that, to that retreat with is your tool. So you could have had, just had some amazing news. So you go into the retreat and you're excited and you just want to go out and live this news or live this new opportunity. And you end up going crazy because you can't, you just have to sit there and you can't even write your thoughts down. So you're, you're kind of tortured that way. Or you could have just come in with some sad news. And there's a lot of people who are in there who have got big things happening for them. And they're, they're coming to peace with it. Like they're coming to peace with the whole concept that everything dies eventually because it's like you're learning to observe your body sensations and they come and they go and they come and they go and there's no point getting attached to any one of them because they'll be gone in a minute so the whole idea is that you're coming to this small realization of change and that change is inevitable and you don't like get come to peace with it. everything's eventually going to change where where do you sleep well on a bed like in beds in 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 a room inside yeah, yeah, there's like smaller, there's rooms with beds in them and you, you might be on your own or you could be sharing with a couple of people. And that's the whole other part of it is that we get so, um, depending on how observant you are, you, I mean, I know that I find myself feeling like noticing all the sounds and that everyone, you know, so they'll have a sign by the front of the door that says, don't slam the front door. And then I, of course, I get the room beside the front door and everyone slams the front door. And then, and that's, that's, that's my thing to work through is that they're just in their stuff. They're, you know, deep in something and they don't notice just because you notice doesn't mean you can't have patience. You don't know what they're going through. So there's a lot of empathy that has to happen through non-conversation. So there's a huge realization in how, much we all we can we judge and how um we project our stuff onto other people i mean some people might not be that way they might be so in their head that they don't even notice what's going on with other people so we all have again our own lessons and it's absolutely different for everyone 10 days highly worth it oh I'm, I'm sure 10 days is longer than some of the cruises i've been on yeah and it it, it probably feels as such oh it feels it, like yeah. a month it feels like a month. Does it have to be 10 days? Do they oh, have yeah. shorter versions? If you've gone through a 10 day, you can go to a shorter version. Oh. So I got to get my wife to agree to send me on a 10 day and nothing yeah. less. I, I, you know what? I could probably have a conversation with her and convince her of how much it's going to change her life for the better because you come out of it. And I, I could say like, I'd, I mean, not everyone comes out. I've had friends go and not, and not gained as much in as much as I did in the first one. The first one was really big for me. And the second one was really big for me. And then after that, the last two I've been on, I would say they were not as significant. Like I can honestly, like I came out of my first one and I decided to quit my job. <laughs> and that's what started my quest to find something that I could do business-wise because I just decided I wanted to live that life of freedom and there's no longer denying it. Here's who I am and I'm out. <laughs> and I didn't even know what was next. So then I spent the summer finding myself and then I went back to meditation that fall and worked out some of my other emotional stuff on that one and let go a lot of heartbreak in it pretty significantly 
and I served at one helping to cook and do all that. So you get to do some meditation and you're mostly in the kitchen. And that was such a transformative year doing those. And that was my big breakthrough year of myself going from my, probably my, I don't know, Wayne Dyer because it calls it from going from the morning of your life to the afternoon of your life. So that was that year. And then mm. after that, less changes. So you might go once and have, if you've done lots of work in your life, you're probably going to realize a lot of things, or you could just be off in your own zone. So, but it's different for everyone. And I can't, I think if anyone wants to change and they want to get more clarity and they want to reconnect with themselves and they want to create a mindset that is capable of anything, I think that's the most powerful thing to do in the shortest period of time. I want in. Will you, um, you'll send, will. you'll send the link. Yeah, I will. We'll link to it in and around this episode. Um, and, and obviously there's no phone, right? There's no posting on Facebook. There's no checking email. Oh, nothing. Wow. Nope. Nothing. That, that alone can drive a person crazy. I can't check my email. I can't post on Facebook. I can't look at my Insta feed. Crazy. Well, and, and I have to say that back in 2006, when I started that, I wasn't quite as attached to all of it. So it was a little easier then. Um, I think that now, uh, I don't know. It depends on how you live your life. I think I, I would, I would be able to do it still. I, I actually was thinking about it again. I noticed lately, I was like, oh, I'm getting a little bit more, I'm not feeling as grounded as I want to feel. And I'm feeling like, you know, a little more up and down. I'm like, maybe I need to go back in for a 10 day. Like that was just actually my thought recently. It's, it's interesting. We're talking about it. Um, so I think, yeah, I think that it is drive you crazy, but whatever drives you crazy makes you stronger. There you go. That's you part of the through. point, right? Yeah, it's the point. It's the total point. What yeah. mantra do you live by today? Oh, mantra. Um... I'm not a big mantra person, but I do have some philosophies that guide me. Mm -hmm. And I would say that one of them is just being, well, I can list a few of them. One of them is just being really objective. Like it's not personal. So just figuring out like what's the product market fit rather than why is nobody like me and what I'm putting out there and I'm not getting attention or I'm not getting the right attention. It's like, okay, what do I need to then do about it? So just being really objective and just recognizing that everyone has value and it's just a matchup. Um, a couple of things I also believe is that we all have more value than we realize we have and we're valuable to a lot of people. And lately I am really focused on influencer outreach and connecting and building relationships with anyone who I come across who I just really want to meet and know that I either think I could work for them because their business is aligned with how I serve people best or I want to have a conversation with them because I've really admired something they've done and I want to hear a little bit more about it or get some feedback on something and that is I just have to say that is amazing because most people respond and so whenever we think someone is too big to connect with, they're people too. Like they are people too. And they actually, if you hit them at the right time with the right need and you've had the right point of connectivity with them, they'll gladly chat with you or consider hiring you, whatever it is you're going for. So just the power of one is one of these things I've got thinking a lot about lately is the power of just how one person can make such a big difference in connecting you to the right people 
doing a shout out when you need it, referring you to others who are high value clients. I, I just believe in that so much. And I think that's actually made such a big difference for so many entrepreneurial leaders out there. And they don't necessarily talk about it because that just happened, but they don't realize that that's actually the turning point for them. There's so much truth to that in that we, we often see these people that we view uh, uber successful, that we put them literally on another level and that makes them unattainable, unaccessible. That yeah. is not the case at all. Yeah, no, they're super insecure in their own way. <laughs> they're comparing up just like we are and they're looking at their uber successful colleagues and saying, how come I'm not doing as well as they are? And it just never ends. It True. never ends. So if you realize that, then you realize that there's always someone, there's always a, a kind of person who's going to um, be great, be super appreciative that you reach out to them. Always. Hmm. And, and, and because they're humans too, and they want to hear, hey, I love what you said, because I really relate to that. They want to hear it. It's, it's amazing. It's, it's like, you know, as long as you're positioning yourself with, with, I don't know, service, you know, you're yeah. giving back then they're happy because they're humans and they need approval and they need to know that they're on the right track and they need validation. And we all, it doesn't matter how successful you are. You need that. We need that. So I would just say, never hesitate to, to learn and, and reach out in order to learn. And they got there that way too. Cause again, I don't think anyone who is really big out there, there's a few people that may have just hustled their way and so much so that they got there, but I'm sure some of their critical leaps they've taken mm. have been in relationships and they get that more than we, like more than the people who aren't as successful as them get that because they've done it. So guess what? They'll respond. Makes so much good sense. Do you believe that everything happens for a reason? Hmm. Um, I used to. I don't know if I necessarily believe that it happens for a reason as much as, well, okay, I guess so. I mean, we're in the position where something could potentially happen to us for some, I think there's always something to, to grow from. I, but it, I mean, there are some things that we don't even care about the reason if they're tragic. I mean, if they're tragic, why would we even want to think there's a reason? Cause we don't need to grow from something that's really um, terrible. Uh, however, I think it's, I think the point is that we should think about it and we should question what, how we contribute to situations and where we're at and why and, and are part of it and take more personal responsibility. I, I really believe that's a turning point is when we become personally responsible for our, our current situation. That's when we can actually take different action or become more accepting about where we're at. What do you think happens when it's all over, when our time here on earth comes to an end? I don't have a really good answer for that. I, 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 one of the things I learned through meditation is just to accept. And I, I struggle with that because I don't necessarily believe in um, something that I can't figure out what it is. Like I can't just, and I can't also take other people's word for it, that this is something that's out there. I, I have to come up with my own set of beliefs because we're all people interpreting things. <laughs> so I think that I, because I have no idea, I, I'm not going to try to figure it out. And I'm 
having a hard time, I have to admit now, because my son's always asking me, why do people have to die, mom? And <laughs> so, I know, right? It's an age thing. It's a six and probably five, actually, six, seven, eight-year-old thing. And I, I don't know. I, I don't know. So I, I, I think that maybe just trying to figure out how to come to peace with the not knowing and, and that's a bit of an act of surrender. Mm. I'd like to say that it's not the what, it's the how. Like we, like the, the surrender and the grace how, about how we go through life and age and, and become unnoticed. Like I know that when I, I, I recognize now that we all get old and we, when we look around and see elderly people, we tend to not see them anymore and they're, but they're us. <laughs> so how can we be more um, empathetic to every single phase of our life? And I, I think that's the best thing we can do. Mm, there's so much we we learn and like i said i've learned from my from my young ones uh some months ago my my daughter who's now five she asked me what is life and it's like oh <laughs> what a what a great question what a dinner table question let me let me begin to answer this what is life go um but yeah now i'm looking forward to these you know then with life comes death and they start all those questions and um devastating but I'll well, and I think some people have a better answer for, like not a better I think there's easier answers and I also but I don't necessarily take the easy route like I won't I mean when he asked me if Santa's real I kind of don't answer because I don't really want to say no because that will upset him but yeah. I'm not going to say yes either because I can't say that Santa is real I mean that's one thing we can all agree upon as adults Santa's not real so <laughs> I don't so I kind of choose a little bit of a non-answer, like you'll figure it out when it's ready, but I'm not going to be too honest and crush your fun little youthful, like excitement fantasies. And I'm also not going to um, straight out and say like, yes, because I think that's just not truth. So if we can find our, our way to let them come to terms with it, and then eventually when they're old enough, tell them our views. You know, so when he asks when people, why do people die? I'm like, well, everything dies, you know, it's just, everything dies. And I've also kind of come to some other realization is that there's a lot of horrible people in this world. <laughs> and some of them are political leaders and terrorists and all kinds of people. And like, if they live forever, could you imagine? <laughs> there's gotta be a way to get, you know, some people who are terrorizing other people in the world out. <laughs> so if that makes me feel better, then that's where I'm, that's the story I'm sticking to for now. <laughs> I get it. I will leave you with this final question. Lisa Prinsick. How would you like to be remembered? Well, I'll share a tiny little story, which was brought up recently by listening to a podcast of someone who mentioned that she had taken a workshop with an amazing transformational speaking coach called Gail Larson. And I had the pleasure of having a doing a workshop with her about seven years ago. And she has this thing called original medicine, where we find out what our medicine is that we give. It's an interesting exercise you do with a partner. And I, what I came up with, and this was seven years ago, so I don't know if it would shift at all, but was that I'm the balm, like B-A-L-M, like a soothing balm of raw truth and clarity. So I think in my honest, you know, in all honesty, despite the fact that I would love to be known and earning more from being known, I also... I think when it comes down to how, what my core values, I just want to know that I serve people 
to help them become clear and see their see their own truth in a gentle way. That's all I can ask for. That makes mm. me happy. Well, there's been plenty of gentle truth here that you've brought out for me, and I'm sure some of our listeners. Lisa Princick, what an amazing woman. Thank you for joining us, opening up, sharing your story, and coming along on this journey with us. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. It's been super fun. Awesome. And if you listening also think that this has been super fun and more, and you got even a little something out of it, do something with that. Take a piece of action one step forward, because that's the only way to make anything happen. We have another great episode not too far behind. Until we do, thanks again for tuning into this episode. We'll talk to you soon. Go get them. Thanks for listening to The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Make sure to subscribe through iTunes or Google Play so you can get notified every time we publish a new episode. And we'd love to hear your thoughts with an honest review on iTunes. Finally, follow us on your favorite social media platforms to keep the conversation going with Josh Carey and today's guest. Until next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.